A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Thanks so much for being a part of the program today. Uh, We're going to do things a little bit differently uh, because we're going to have a pretty long conversation with Larry Keene of the National Shooting Sports Foundation, who joins us uh, right now. Larry, thank you so much for your time today, sir. It's always a pleasure to spend time with you, Cam. And I'm glad you booked out a, a couple of minutes here because we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, I, I hardly even know where to get started, but let, let's start with what the House Judiciary Committee did yesterday, marking up uh, a, a ban on modern sporting rifles. Uh, you know, the breathless headlines, first time in 20 years that the House has taken up a ban on so-called assault weapons. It's unclear whether or not they're actually the votes to, to get this out of the full house next week. Uh, according to David Cicilline, a couple of uh, days ago, they were still, quote, one or two votes short. Uh, there are a couple of Democrats that have come out in opposition, a couple of Republicans who may be leaning uh, towards supporting this. But what is NSSF's reaction and response to the idea that, A, banning uh, the, the purchase or uh, sale of the most commonly sold rifles in the country uh, is constitutional, practical, or effective at reducing violent crime? Well, f- thanks for having us, Cam. Uh, first, the bill goes far beyond just banning modern sporting rifles. It will ban uh, a very large number of semi-automatic rifles and shotguns that are commonly used for target shooting, for bird hunting, for sporting clays and such. So it, it goes way beyond just banning the AR-15 platform, for example. And the bill that they passed out of committee last night also restricts magazine capacity. They landed on 15 round capacity versus 10. You know, so I, I don't, you know, again, that number is utterly, utterly arbitrary. Um, so we'll see. Uh, early next week, whether they have, I think, the votes to move forward. It will be very, very close one way or the other. There are a very large number of Democrats that are sponsoring this bill. Um, Whether they will continue to sponsor it or support it when it goes to the floor, uh, we'll see. There are a couple of Democrats uh, that are on the bubble. There are several Democrats in very competitive races who are reported to be very upset with Speaker Pelosi for pushing this issue when they're in competitive races and, and they're concerned that it'll hurt their chances at reelection. Uh, so we'll see what they do. Um, and there are maybe two Republicans who might are considered as possibly leaning towards voting yes, Adam Kinzinger and Chris Jacobs from New York, both of whom are retiring. Uh, I think the field of Democrats that um, you know, are, are gettable from our point of view uh, is, uh, you know, they, they're locked in. I think we're reading, we're trying to get, find out for sure. But so it'll be very close. I think we'll know if she has the votes, if she moves it to the rules committee, so they can go to the floor with it later in the week, next week. If it doesn't move forward, uh, you know, early next week and to the rules committee, which is the necessary step before it goes to the floor, that would indicate to me she doesn't have the votes. But I, you know, uh, she won't put it on the floor if she doesn't have votes. And I don't think she'll move it to the Rules Committee if she hasn't, you know, counted votes and is confident it'll pass. But again, if it passes, it'll be by just, you know, one, two, three or so uh, votes. And if it fails, um, 
if it gets a vote and it fails, it'll be you know something in that order as well, unless a number of Democrats say we're not we're not going to support this because it goes too far. It's, it goes way beyond just banning you know modern sporting rifles, as I said. It, it reaches semi-automatic shotguns, um, you know, uh, which uh, you know, detachable magazines or um, or tubular magazines that can hold more than five rounds. Well, with mini shells, everyone can hold more than five rounds. And if it has a grip, a four a grip, uh, and detachable stock, well, every stock is detachable. So anyway, uh, we'll see. I do think uh, that they're doing this, as you mentioned, in the face of the recent Supreme Court decision that made clear, uh, you know, if there's no text, history, or tradition of restricting uh, the conduct owning rifles uh, and shotguns, it's not going to pass constitutional muster. So I don't think it, it will, but we'll, we're going to find out soon enough how the lower courts now will apply the Bruin decision. I think I can guess where some of them are going to say, or we heard a little bit of that yesterday in the Senate Judiciary Committee, where an anti-gun law professor from Duke Law School and their fire, Firearms Policy Center basically said modern sporting rifles could be banned because they are quote unquote unusually dangerous. So they're gonna try and lump them in with like sawed off shotguns uh, and, and such, uh, which of course, you know, and as NSSF put out yesterday, uh, through 2020, we estimate that there are now 24, roughly 24.5 million modern sporting rifles in civilian possession just since 1990. Yeah. And of course, the product's been on the market since the early 60s. And again, this does not include 21 or a year to date in 22. So when, when we come out with those numbers next year, I'm confident it's going to be, you know, 26 million or more. Well, and it, I mean, as you guys pointed out, there are more modern sporting rifles in the hands of law-abiding Americans. Than there are Ford F-Series pickup trucks on American roads. Uh, and I don't think anybody would call uh, Ford F-150 an unusual firearm. So I, I think these arms are in common use. Uh, as opposed to be, you know, as far as you know, being unusually dangerous goes, uh, the FBI crime statistics have shown year after year uh, right. that these are firearms that are not used in a lot of crimes. They they may be used in high profile crimes, but they're not used in, in a in a lot of uh, homicides or assaults. In fact, you know, every year, fists and feet. Uh, account for uh, uh, more homicides and, and objects. Exactly. So I understand, you know, the, the, the gun control lobby is going to come up with the best argument they think they can come up with. I, I don't think it's going to stand uh, a court scrutiny. Uh, and I don't think, frankly, even if this uh, a bill passes the House, I don't think it's going anywhere in the Senate right now. There's no, um, I don't believe it will go anywhere in the Senate. You know, the last time uh, Senator Feinstein got a vote on her amendment, uh, you know, it, it failed miserably. Every time it gets a vote in the Senate, it gets fewer and fewer votes. So I don't think it has even close to 50, let alone 60 uh, yeah. votes to move it forward. So, But again, I mean, at least, Larry, at least they're being honest with, with what they want uh, or, or, or at least semi-honest about what they want, because ultimately, you know, I don't think they want a, 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 a so-called assault and ban with a grandfather clause in it. I think they want to tell Mr. and Mrs. America, turn them all in. But they are making their intentions at least somewhat known here yes. uh, with this bill. And I think, you know, I know that they're trying to gin up support among the Democratic base. The, the, the Democrats say they want fighters right now. And so this is an attempt to show we're fighting. 
But they're also going to, I think, uh, gin up interest among Republicans and among conservatives and among independents who say, listen, banning our way to safety is not the way to go. And if you guys want to make gun control an issue this election, you know, we're concerned about putting food on the table. We're concerned about the rising cost of inflation for, for everything that we're buying these days. We're concerned about our job security. We're concerned about the possibility of a recession. But, hey, you want to talk about gun control. You want to go after our right to keep our arms. All right, we can talk about that. And there's another reason for me to vote against you. Uh, that that's going to be the case for I think a fair number of Americans. Um, but let's talk about uh, a couple of other things because again we we've got a lot of stuff going on here. We saw uh, Steve Dettelbach sworn in as head yep. of the ATF this week. Um, we also saw this week, Larry, this really disturbing story out of Wilmington, Delaware, where a uh, gun owner was paid a visit uh, by uh, a local law enforcement and several ATF officials who said that they were part of a straw purchase task force and they. Uh, knew that this guy had purchased some guns a few months ago. And they just wanted to see if he still had these guns. Again, no reason to suspect that uh, this guy was involved in any criminal activity whatsoever. He ended up recording the entire conversation on his uh, doorbell cam. When you see situations like that uh, unfolding, at the same time, the gun control lobby has just installed one of their own, basically, uh, as uh, ATF director, how concerned are you about what the Biden administration is going to do uh, with the ATF uh, to try to weaponize it as an agency that's not about regulating uh, the firearms industry or ensuring that current laws are being followed, but viewing the industry as an adversary uh, that is meant yeah. to be destroyed? Well, when you have a president who calls the industry, quote unquote, the enemy, uh, when you have this, uh, quote unquote, zero tolerance policy, and you have revocations up 500%, and the basis for these revocations have nothing to do with any risk to public safety, um, where you have closed inspections being reopened after six months, uh, and then finding that, you know, when you know, seeking a revoke uh, six months later after they said it didn't, didn't rise to that level, very, very troubling. So we're, we're really concerned about this, this approach from the administration, instead of going after the trigger pullers and the bad people, and, and there are you know, a lot of people out there that need to be locked up, going after law-abiding citizens who exercise the constitutional right, showing up unannounced at the doorstep, it, you know, um, trying to coerce them into like, you know, letting them into their house with no warrant, that's troubling. Why didn't, you know, how many cops and, and state troopers and agents were there instead of working the streets to put bad guys and getting the trigger pullers. So that's troubling. Uh, we're, you know, uh, you know, we have to deal with ATF as the industry, they're the regulator, but uh, we are concerned about uh, these policies. And, you know, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Hopefully now as a confirmed director, he can push back on the direction coming from the attorney general and the deputy attorney general to revoke licenses and you know get focused again on going after the trigger pullers and not harassing law-abiding dealers. I will tell you that these policies have badly affected the cooperative relationship between industry and ATF. Dealers have always been the number one source of information to ATF that leads to illegal firearms trafficking cases. Dealers are not picking up the phone and calling ATF anymore because they're petrified, they're gonna be subject to an inspection and that ATF will find some mistake they made and revoke their license. They're not calling to 
self-report if they made a mistake and how do I correct it? That's not happening. Um, you know, they're not cooperating with ATF because they're afraid they're going to be have their livelihood and, and their business destroyed. So it's unproductive. It doesn't advance public safety. You have an administration that wants more inspectors than special agents. Um, that's a problem. That's that's the wrong focus. So mm -hmm. hopefully we'll see some course correction under the new director. We're certainly going to challenge him uh, and bring these issues to his attention, uh, and, and we'll see how it goes. But uh, we are concerned. Well, okay, and, and and again, I think rightfully so. Um, so let let's talk about courts, uh, both uh, courts of law and the courts of public opinion. Um, we have seen, uh, you know, again, a a, a number of uh, let's see. Federal Trade Commission complaints filed by uh, gun control groups lately, a uh, number of lawsuits filed uh, against the firearms manufacturers uh, over their marketing practices. We saw state of California institute a new law that, in essence, bans the uh, any firearms that are designed for uh, for junior shooters, any marketing materials that are aimed at junior shooters. Uh, that's being challenged in court right now. Talk, if you can, about the the attempt to destroy the industry again in, in both courts of law and the courts of public opinion uh and to uh, again ensure that americans not only don't have the right to keep and bear arms but they don't even have their first amendment right to you know, to talk about the right to keep right. and bear arms i look Phil, this law in california is obviously unconstitutional it obviously violates the first amendment right to speech first amendment right of freedom of association and it violates the due process clause because it says, you know, what's attractive to a minor? Well, how? what does that mean? Right? Mm -hmm. That's a totally vague and subjective standard. Um, you know, the, the, I feel like I've gone back in a time machine to you know, Mr. Peabody's Wayback Machine uh, to the late 1990s. We're hearing all of the same arguments from the same gun control groups, uh, you know, trying to file lawsuits against the industry. They you know, House Judiciary just last night also passed a bill to repeal the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act and to repeal the TR Amendment that prevents the disclosure of law enforcement sensitive trace information outside of law enforcement because it puts law enforcement at risk, in danger, and, and can interfere with ongoing criminal investigations. So all of this is going on, uh, but I think they know if they don't have the votes to repeal the PLCAA, certainly not in the Senate, and I don't think they even have it in the House. So we'll see next week whether they think they do or not. But you know, they, they want to sue us. They want to. And so they're coming up with these theories. We saw it in the Soto case in, in Connecticut. They're trying to make everything about marketing. They come up with these gimmicks. You know, the new fo focus group tested term weapon of war. Um, you know, even the AP style manual said shouldn't be saying assault weapons. It's misleading. It's a false term. It is, as you know, a politically created term by Josh Sugarman, the Violence Policy Center, to to you know mislead the American public to think you're banning machine guns when, when you're not. You're just banning ordinary semi-automatic rifles. So there's a lot of focus on this. They're filing these complaints with the FTC, NSSF. We just submitted a letter. TFTC uh, on this, they fundraise off of it. So they want to, you know, they have disdain for the Second Amendment and they're entitled to their opinion, but they're not entitled to try to suppress the First Amendment rights 
law-abiding citizens, the law-abiding companies, from being able to advertise their products. These, you know, they can't point to advertisements that says that what you said is false. It's not true, right? It's all opinion. They they don't like the advertising because they don't like the product, and so they want to try to use these theories to ban the advertising and try to say your advertising violates some amorphous state law uh, that allows it to fit in the predicate exception. And so we can see, we saw that in the Soto case, they're trying to weaponize that marketing theory. We've seen it now uh, you know, with this law. We see this in the lawsuit against Smith & Wesson in California, trying to claim they're advertising, you know, somehow responsible for the actions of a deranged individual. I mean, or they say you're advertising, they literally say this, that the industry is specifically targeting their ads to deranged young men who have these like, you know, fantasies of, you know, committing mass murder. I mean, it's literally what they say. Yeah. I mean, it's patently absurd. And, and they're, they're, well, listen, and their evidence for this, I believe, uh, in the California case was, um, all right, I guess this was the Federal Trade Commission complaint uh, filed against Daniel Defense was uh, 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 using Call of Duty hashtags on on Instagram because nobody over the age of 18 plays Call of Duty uh, and a uh, and a picture with Post Malone. Uh, now, Larry, listen, I'm 48 years old. I, I said this at Barry and Arms the other day. My my wife, who's nine years older than I am, was the one who actually introduced me to Post Malone. And even though I'm sure Post Malone is going, oh, God, I can't believe Cam likes me. I like Post Malone's music. I'm not 18 years old. It, it, again, these subjective standards, it, it, they, they carry no real weight, but they are designed, as you pointed out, to, to demonize the firearms industry and, frankly, to demonize gun ownership. Because I think, you know, I think they understand what the Bruin decision really means for them. And if they can't ban guns in the home, they can't ban people from carrying guns for self-defense. Soon, I think they're not going to be able to ban uh, AR-15s or modern sporting rifles. They're not going to be able to ban, quote unquote, large capacity magazines. Well, what's left now? It's, it's really, again, it's about attacking the those who exercise that right. That's that's a good. And so that's what the California law is about. It, it's not just stopping the advertising. They want to stop the next generation from, you know, participating in hunting and the shooting sports, you know, uh, that's what that's about, right? It's it's they are trying to, you know, choke off the oxygen, you know, to the quote unquote gun culture, right? They, they're trying to suppress First Amendment speech about Second Amendment activities. Uh, so, uh, you know, they have utter disdain for the Second Amendment, and they have utter disdain for our community. I mean, that's just the fact, right? Yeah. And, I mean, what they're doing is tried and true playbook. We saw this 20 years ago. In the municipal lawsuits, the Hamilton lawsuit, chin up bogus science, then demonize the product, and then try to ban it and bring lawsuits to put you out of business. That's why they want to repeal the PLCA, and they want access to trace data. They want to go back to the late 1990s in the city lawsuits and, and try to bankrupt the industry and force us to capitulate to gun control measures through you know, regulation through litigation. I mean, nothing new here. We've seen this before. Every town just put out a report uh, this morning listing the uh, top manufacturers of firearms recovered from a number of Democrat cities with high crime problems, like New York. Um, you know, it's a name and shame play. We've seen this before, suggesting that Glock, 
Smith and Wesson and Gruger and Taurus, for example, are somehow responsible for criminals obtaining firearms uh, and bringing them illegally into those cities and using them a crime. That's like saying Ford, Chevy, GM, and Toyota are you know the, the manufacturer of choice for drunk drivers. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. Uh, and again, I think, you know, it's it's not just up to the industry, but I think it is up to gun owners to uh, to push back against this uh, ridiculous uh, campaign as well. Uh, listen, we've only got a couple of minutes left here. So I, I do want to ask you, uh, we had talked about the uh, the Democrats gun control legislation. Let's talk about a uh, bill that's been offered by Republicans. Uh, the Return Our Constitutional Rights Act, which was uh, sponsored by or is sponsored by Representative Andrew Clyde. I think there are like 57 co-sponsors. This would uh, end all of the uh, uh, federal taxes and fees associated with uh, gun purchases. It would uh, you know, end the Pittman-Robertson fund, it would end the uh, NFA tax. Uh, Representative Clyde says, uh, according to the bill, the, uh, there would be money allocated to these wildlife restoration programs through um, unspent uh, a lease, uh, oil and gas leases on uh, federal lands. What, what's the NSSF's position on the Return we, Our Constitutional uh, Rights you know, Act? We've spoken with the congressman about this. We indicated this when this was a discussion point. He ran on this issue. We told him even before he got to Congress, this is not something the industry would support. It is not, the Pittman-Robertson excise tax is not a tax on the Second Amendment. That tax is paid by the manufacturers. And so, you know, is that cost you know, reflected in the overall cost of the product, just like the cost of labor, raw material, energy insurance, and other taxes like payroll taxes. It all rolls up into the overall cost of the product, but it's not a tax in the Second Amendment. And there's no firearm out there that somebody couldn't purchase because of the Pittman-Robertson excise tax. Those funds, which was $1.5 billion last year, is what pays for it's the primary source of wildlife conservation funding. That includes using the states using those funds for hunter education and for building public shooting ranges, which is something we, we've been working with state agencies to do. So we don't support this. What he's proposing would actually reduce wildlife conservation funding, reduce the opportunity for shooting ranges on public lands where people can exercise their Second Amendment rights, even if they never go afield, where they can teach firearm safety education, where hunters can go in and sight in on their rifles. So and it's not just the NSSF that's opposed to this. And our, you know, our manufacturers, as you know, our board is filled with the major firearms and ammunition manufacturers, strongly opposed to this. And there aren't 57 co-sponsors anymore because at least four members have already pulled their name off the bill. And we understand more will, will come off the bill because they now understand this is really not a good idea. It's not good policy. It, it really, it's not an infringement upon the Second Amendment. Uh, and so the tax, the excise tax has existed since about 1919. In the 1930s, the industry asked that those taxes that the industry was, the manufacturers were paying would be used for wildlife conservation funding because at the time, wildlife in the United States was being decimated. Um, and you know, we've had this, you know, the, the North American model of conservation funding is the envy of the world. That's why we have so much wildlife in this country, why the American Eagle has been restored 
from the brink, why there's more deer and turkey, et cetera, than there, than there have been since you know, the colonial times. It's because of the, this funding source, all the conservation community across the board uh, opposes this because they understand how important Pittman-Robertson excise tax is to wildlife conservation. And if the industry thought it was a tax on the Second Amendment, you know, we would support the repeal. But it's just, it just isn't a tax on the Second Amendment any more than the payroll tax uh, manufacturers have to pay is a tax on the Second Amendment. It just isn't. Do you think, uh, and I appreciate you explaining that, but do you think that, because um, this is one of the things that it has always bothered me, gun owners, first of all, there are a lot of gun owners who don't hunt. Right. Uh, so their purchases, you know, uh, and this excise tax that's being paid on a firearm that's not used for hunting, still going to fund these wildlife conservation programs. Meanwhile, you've got, you know, bird watchers who go out and buy a pair of binoculars. Well, that doesn't uh, have anything to do with Pittman-Robertson, right? So would, would you like to see the Pittman-Robertson uh, Act expanded to include things that go beyond firearms so and ammunition? And, and, you know, I guess we've got the Anglers Act as well. So there are some, you know, fishing items that are included here. But well, why, why shouldn't the, somebody who buys a Yeti cooler or who buys a, a, a pop-up tent also be kicking in a couple of bucks, uh, you know, to, uh, to help fund wildlife conservation? So there have been discussions about broadening um, what the tax applies to, for example, tree stands for deer hunting, as an example. So there have been discussions about that. One of the issues with repealing Pippin-Robertson is that hunters and the industry will lose our seat at the table. Uh, and so then it won't matter what we think. It won't matter what hunters think about how that money, which would be cut in half, basically, under this proposal. Uh, and it's based on, by the way, oil and gas leases. Well, under this administration, do you think that number's going up or down, right? So uh, it's not a reliable fund funding stream under this administration or any future Democrat administration. But we lose our seat at the table. And then groups like Sierra Club uh, and bird watching groups uh, and anti-hunting groups will have a say uh, about how the funds are used. And again, you know, we work very hard to change the Pittman-Robertson um, law that applies to the states about how they can use those funds to make it easier for the states to build shooting ranges uh, so that people who never go afield get a return on their investment, if you will. Um, you know, so we work very hard and we were successful in doing that so that there will now be more shooting ranges for people to use you know, that don't belong to private ranges or gun clubs. So, I mean, there has been discussion about that, like binoculars, but, you know, we don't want to lose uh, our ability to have a say in how those funds are spent, um, you know, uh, and hunting is still a very important part of this industry. Uh, but we, we are, you know, the argument for modifying the Pittman-Robertson formula for uh, using money for ranges was that was led by NSSF and the industry. And, and the argument was because shooters who never go afield deserve a return on their investment. And we were successful. Well, listen, I, I appreciate you taking a, a few minutes out of what I'm sure is a very busy day to, uh, to, to talk about some of these issues. Um, I look forward to doing this again very soon, but uh, I'd also encourage folks to, uh, to head to NSSF.org. 
Uh, you know, you guys are constantly putting out new information and uh, it is a, a, a great resource, not only for uh, members of the industry, but for uh, gun owners as well. Larry, thank you again for your time, sir. I look forward to catching up with you again very soon. It's always great to spend time with you. I won't say anything about the Yankees and the Red Sox. But, <laughs> Man, uh, hey, listen, I, I couldn't even tell you what the standings are in the AL East right now. I have paid yeah. so little attention to baseball this year. I've got so much other stuff going on, as I'm sure you do. So congratulations for actually, yeah. you know, knowing how things are going. I couldn't tell you who's in the lead at the oh. moment, but uh, I wish your Yankees uh, all the failure in the world. <laughs> well, just one, one quick last thing. We touched on a little bit, you know, the elections are coming up in the midterms. I, I just cannot stress how important it is that gun owners get registered to vote, get educated, and on election day, and that starts way before election day, as you know, yep. don't risk your rights. Gun vote, we need to be sure that we get uh, you know, pro-Second Amendment, pro-industry, pro-sportsmen members elected to Congress and the Senate so we can stop this Biden administration. We can stop you know, this anti-gun agenda by Nancy Pelosi and, and the vast majority of Democrats in the House are anti-gun. It's, it's yeah. a terrible thing to say, but you can count on one hand the members of the Democrat caucus in the House who are not anti-gun. Almost the entire caucus is sponsoring this ban on the most popular rifle being sold in America. This is you know, the future of the Second Amendment is at stake, and it's no joke. And the future of the industry, if they succeed in repealing the PLCAA, we will be bankrupted. And that's the plan. That's what the plan was 20 years ago, and that's the plan now. Sue yep. the industry out of existence or make them capitulate because they can't afford to fight anymore. You need to get registered to vote, and on Election Day, gun vote, please, if you care about the Second Amendment. If you care about your rights, you must do this and make sure everyone you know does as well. Don't just do it yourself. Get out there and get your friends, your family members, your colleagues, your coworkers. They care about the Second Amendment. We need to stand up and fight back, and we need to do that now. Yep, absolutely right. Larry, again, thank you so much for your time, sir. I look forward to uh, doing this again soon. Uh, and thank you uh, for tuning into this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. We will be back on Monday with uh, another edition, but uh, we'll be updating the website, of course, throughout the uh, weekend with the latest Second Amendment news and information. Until we talk again, be well, be safe, and be free.